0: You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you. Conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,
0: This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. So here it is, ladies and gentlemen, episode 100 of the Comedian's Comedian Podcast with me, Stuart Goldsmith. This is recorded live at Edinburgh under the auspices of Bob Slayer's Heroes of Fringe at Bob and Misbehaves Bookshop. This, and I've been saving it till now because I loved it so much, even though we recorded it in August, this is Phil Kaye. Hi, guys. You're really welcome. Thank you so much for coming, Phil. Welcome. Great magic. Much appreciated. (coughs) Now, just uh, by a rousing (coughs) cheer, who here has seen Phil do stand-up comedy? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And uh, we'll leave a little space on the podcast. If you're listening in the car or the bath or whilst jogging, give us a cheer if you've seen Phil. Amazing. Loads of them. That's great. So, uh, how are you finding? Did you just get into town yesterday? Because I tried to see your show yesterday and you apparently woke up in Cornwall. Yeah, I was a day late out of, out of kilter,
2: but only by an hour I did. I missed my flight by an hour, but then I got another flight from Birmingham and I did make it to the last 20 minutes of the show. I mean, there's a theory that you can't ever be late for your own show. <laughs> you know, when you get there, it's, that's it. And yet other people would cover for me before I came in and people, the audience waited like, almost like 39 minutes. So they missed 39 minutes of fill, but they got other things, so then it was fine. And I got there, but when I got there, I was really rushed and uh, overdid it and it wasn't very good. I could see it in the eyes and people could see it in my eyes and I could see it in their eyes and I could in my eyes
0: but today it was the greatest show it could ever be and that was my I'm happy now it was a beautiful show today it was lovely yeah. now I want to uh, the first thing we should do is describe what you do for people listening in uh, Hong Kong who've never seen you and other people in other countries who've never no. seen you. Here's my point. But there will be people listening all over the world. There might be people down the road who've never seen you. But for anyone listening, what would you describe... And I know comedians hate being asked this, but imagine what... Why what, do they hate it? Well, lots of... I hate being asked it, because I go, oh, I don't know, I suppose I'm just a guy telling jokes. But what, what do you do, in your yeah. own words? Well, I have an eye on the best possible thing, and the best possible thing is something
2: magical that happens beyond the, the stuff. And so I just hope it will happen, and I try and allow it to happen. And it's based on enthusiasm... And therefore, when it happens, it's great. You have things to say, and you have uh, things to allow to be appropriate, so you improvise the f- I improvise the form as much as I can. So sometimes it's all stories, sometimes it's all madness, sometimes it's all, lots of things all coming together beautifully. It's, a, it's about hope. It's about hope that the room will be a magic thing. And, and then you decide in the moment what that form is, is what it is, is. Is.
0: And when you and when you say just to give some sense to people who've not seen you, like I'm sorry, you, you, no, not at all. You Hello, w- Hong Kong.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm wearing all white. Uh, do you mean well?
0: How I mean, do I give it any more clearer than that? No, no, no. <laughs> I don't mean. I mean, how could you? For the sake of someone like you, when you say some of it is madness, like I know, I've seen you do things where you do a, a guitar solo, a, finish a guitar song that never ends. So you da 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 and you keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. I was, I've not seen you do this ever, but someone told me that they saw a show of yours years ago where you kind of improvised an entire wedding parade out of everyone in the room. So when we say madness, we're talking about sort of literally anything
2: physically possible. Actually, what I meant was when by madness was the stuff that doesn't work. They kind of like... Uh, the sort of crazy thing you sometimes slip into to try and get the room in track. So often the first 10 minutes are very mad and buzzy and crazy and go anywhere you're trying to... That wedding thing was like 800 people in the Queen's Hall, a really massive, but it just sort of seemed to go. And in fact, it becomes the opposite of madness because everyone's going with it because I'm not a big fan of nonsense and madness and craziness meaning nothing. I'm, I'm, I think they're... The words we use, and yet it's about something really meaning something, which is basically when everyone goes for it, we're all in it together. I sometimes know that at, that at times I'm the worst at that because I c- can't do it because it's the thing that people think I want to do. But mm. Again, I'm not, not really deciding before if it'll have to be mad. Sometimes it's just stories and just real stuff, and just have to stick in the day how I got there to establish that, that this is the way my mind is working so that people are going, This is what it is. And you can see a lot of crowds, they're going, Oh, God, it's this. Oh, God, it's this. And then they go, Oh God! It's this. It is you know. As long as you stick with it, it'll, it'll be okay. So madness is like when you're all over the place. When it comes together, it's not mad. It's, f- it's you're mixing your mayonnaise and nothing, 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 and then oh, you know. And it's sh- 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 you don't know is it? Yes, and then oh, whipping cream is much better. I never make my own mayonnaise, but I <laughs> but I make I do whip cream. I have whipped cream, and you think. They're having me on. They are having me on. But all you're doing is adding air into the molecules. And and once you've done a few gigs that go really incredibly well in a certain way, then you have that eye on that. And it's the same in all walks of life. You allow the best to be a thing that could happen. That's what I do when I'm, i spend all my time with kids. I've got so many children. So I spend most of my time with kids. So it's not about trying to put theories into practice. It's about what I've actually learned from that. If you're loving the best, then then at least that's there. Whereas if you're trying to enforce something, no best can ever happen. Is one way of putting it. So sure. Um, I had a brilliant moment today where was it? I can't remember what gig it is. I've only done four today or something around the place. But I had this brilliant gig, uh, gag. A sort of. I've got this bit of paper with the show on, it's got like it's got like three words and then it's got some you know strong material, which is basically three gags, you know, that, (laughs) that if you're going well, they'll be enough because every sort of 16 minutes you'll need something and just pull this one liner out that's just magic and it's about you pissing your memory foam mattress and it'll never let you forget. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just a gag but it's like, how do I get it in? And then today I found myself talking about mattresses and then blah, 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 and I just yeah. did it. But just before I did it, I went, there's a wee pause where I just kind of, and then, uh, you know, after I was able to talk about how I, that was such a gag, because I don't really have many gags, but I do love them because they're great. And if you can get five magic one-liner concepts, ba-ding, ba-ding, they're what people could remember. There's so many hours of stuff they won't remember, which is really rather good. Yes. So you come away from an hour show and you go, what was that? What was that?
0: You can't really have held it, and that's a nice thing. I think yeah. but what was the question? Uh, well, I think you've covered the question. We were discussing. We were just describing the sort of thing that you do. Right. Um, I'd be interested in finding out wh- how that has changed from what you started off doing. Did you start off as this kind of maestro of everything possible, or did you start off as a more like when you, you in 1989, I think, yep. when you once say you think you're funny, uh-huh. were you doing joke jokes? How, how did you how did you bring yourself to comedy?
2: Yeah, I mean, I still remember walking from uh, Haymarket to. The gilded balloon to do a heat of so I think of funny and I had to have like, uh, you know, eight minutes or stuff. I remember saying everything I had and it was just one two minutes or something. You know, d- even then I never had enough. I did have lots more one-liners around sort of fairly. Um, what's the word for pretend and false scenarios, but a lot of them were based on things... Contrived. Contrived, yeah. But the things that occurred to me, when they occurred to me, they weren't contrived. So it, it was stuff that happened when I was getting driving lessons. I didn't invent the situation, but I just had little one-liners, and then it started to grow a little bit. You get two things that were about the same subject. I certainly remember in my first ever gig, sort of doing a thing, and then it goes well. If something, if, if while folks are laughing, you can then sort of think of this magic other thing to say... When they're not laughing, then you've got less time and you're like, oh God, that didn't work. And then they're not laughing, so you've got to go on quick. If people are laughing, then you can just sort of do more of it. My advice to comedians often is just stay more in the bit that's working and just come up with anything then because almost you could go beyond words. You can go, eh, 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 You yeah. know, I'm, not, I'm <laughs> serious in like... Sometimes you're dancing to a band, and you, you can hear the guy, well, I don't want to get this male, mayonnaise, no more. You know, it's, you're not really hearing everything you he say, but it doesn't matter. The words can be music with a band, but it's not so simple with comedians. because so I, you know, but I certainly discovered that thing of, once they get it, you can just sort of do anything. It's like a funny uncle that you like, and you kind of just love them. And doesn't, they don't really have to do gags. There's some uncles that do gags, and you're like, you don't have to, mate. And others that just are lovely. I certainly experienced when I was young. Two guys, or older guys, are just really relaxed, witty. One was a dairy farmer, Massive alcoholic. Whenever I see a grouse label, I get a shiver because when I was young, I got some grouse from his sh- shed or something, you know, a, a cabinet and drank it, and it still particularly rails me. So, but I saw when I was young real humour of, of how you feel about someone, love in action. You know, you love them, ha ha, ha. I don't really need to do gags. And so, I've always sort of so I started off definitely doing gags, but very quickly was starting to realise immediately that there's something else going on. That the gags, unless you've got a massive list and a brilliant memory, and both of those things have got much shorter with me over the years. The list, A lot <laughs> shorter The memory. And yet, when you get into that zone, bling, you suddenly recall everything you need. Like today, what was good about the show was I sort of somehow covered everything that I yes. wanted to the last year of the life in, in chunks, and they started to get sections, and I didn't need to go through in order. The chronology became the, you know, super, super chronology of your belief in it. Because what is chronology anyway? You're naming something in a list. You, know, it's, you can choose the way that you list things, so I lit <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> and Especially, sorry, to the 15,000 people who had no idea that word was coming. Some here people would read my body language, but... <laughs> no, I thought I had another
0: one. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you actually, with the show today, one of the... You, you seemed, for, for what I've seen of your work, very kind of structured because you started by giving a woman in the front row a piece of paper and a pen and saying right you're going to write down the set list yeah. and then telling her what the things were yeah. and then she had to join in and shout the things out and remind you, of, yeah, and you that were like, was a okay, new, new idea
2: for me that's a brand new thing and I, and, I, and I was singing and I was thinking this is good because honestly you come to a and you go oh, fuck something's just happened fuck 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 and it's like the top I always want everything new to be the top the first, so the latest thing I want to be the first thing I say on stage because it often can be of course what that does is put your mind into the super super on it moment of now so you forget deeper things it doesn't matter though because it makes it lovely when you're sharing what's just happened I had this idea of the idea of things are happening around the corner for 15 minutes to me before the gig oh no I want to be able to talk about them oh, I'll never remember them oh, I could write them down I just didn't want to interrupt the moment to write them down In in a notebook, it became a bit false. So I brought the notebook and then the idea, and then sang the first five minutes until I sort of summoned up all this stuff that's on this mystical list in my head of the routines for this year's show, you know. Mm -hmm. So I need to think think about it but it was a way to get around that and think about it live and then make a set this with a woman writing it was having a stenographer is that right a stenographer yeah, yeah for the soul it was really it was a i don't know and now i'm in the quandary can i do it again but must i do it every show now or never again Fuck. i don't know but i liked it i thought it was a really good idea because sometimes when i'm singing you just kind of sing any old thing it's quite uh, hitting the zone sometimes because singing you can get away with different things and i do a lot of singing in the shows these days in a certain kind of way
0: do you do you find that you need to when you say, you know, can I do that again, do you find that you need to stay away from things that become kind of things that work when you go, oh okay, I've got stuff here that works? Is there a danger that it ossifies well, because when of- you
2: just believe that you should be able to think of a new one every day? So so yeah, there's something in that where well, it's not a principle where go, I must avoid things i've done before because again i'm improvising the form giving trying to give the best form that's appropriate at that point so i don't have a principle about i will do anything again that's actually quite a mechanical thing i have to sort of make it have the pen ready and the pad and then do it so i probably won't actually you know mm. but there's, there's plenty that i do do again and i'm not i haven't got a problem with it. there's plenty of stories i've told that don't change much because they've become these little magic stories that, that i do so some gigs are going well i play gigs all over london where i'm like not known in anything. I come to Edinburgh and I'm a bit more known, I can be known in the streets of Lothian regions, but certainly in London I'm just an anonymous geezer on a bill of four people in Balaam and there's acts, brilliant, acts, brilliant, and there's just me. And I end up with my trousers down wearing one of their jumpers as a kilt with no back on it, downing all the hen knights' drinks and lying in their arms or something. You know, it just... I think that's great I think that's great that's memorable and that's magic and that's only one of the acts the other acts are all doing <laughs> and boom boom laugh 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 but I, you know, so I'm very happy with it so there's plenty of room in the forum for, for doing brand new things they're not, the, they're not the aim you don't go I must do it brand new I just know that that's usually going to be the best thing because people are very uh, psychic and they sense when you, and I, the guy gave this shir, sh, shirt to me on the first show I did and so now I'm wearing this shirt this guy gave me it's ridiculous and awful I'd never wear a right shirt but it's acting as a kind of mini jacket you know so it's like and, it's, and, and, the, and the show was about how I had another shirt because in London a while ago I, I used to when I see a guy with a nice shirt I used to go are you keeping that shirt? Yeah. and I got, th- I, got, I got three shirts I got Three guys went, oh, I just took their shirt off and swapped shirts of me in London
0: town. I got shirts off men. I was you thinking. you did that. We were in Switzerland together for that week. And what we did a, you do a shirt? Yeah, there? you did a shirt there in Zurich, I Great think. shirt Remember Zurich. we spent the afternoon in, in Zurich I do, I do, I do. cycling around, yeah, trying yeah. to cycle with our hands on the opposite side of the handlebars. <laughs> And zen baby Oh it was wonderfully zen I remember that We went to the Because in Zurich they have, You
2: probably know Needle exchanges Really progressive um, oh, oh, Heroin addiction centres So we sort of went We were just tourists We just sort of went To hang out at one And, and they had big soldiers And they were like no, no you can get away We were too smart For the heroin thing Yeah and Then
0: we went across the road I went to I the think crime. I was too smart For the I heroin <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly sure You could have talked to I probably way. have Talked my way in
2: I didn't have enough uh, scratching and swish, and then we went across. The road, we went to the opera house, and we were too scruffy for the opera house, and we got <laughs> busted and thrown out there. But anyway, that was a good time in Switzerland. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, a shirt. So if you tell people things, they, they it will be real, and that might not, and they will get it, and that might not be that funny, but it's one step of the stitch of the tapestry that's going to get the you know. So if you get them in with little bits of truth, then, then it's all magic, and um, get them in with little bits of truth. I mean that's such a crude way of saying it but it's just that's it you know if you then then people are seeing that you're releasing something really true and intimate and that's great and it's especially at the beginning where usually people are going on a lot of comedies about getting it winning it at the beginning when rather than winging it you know and so if you're throwing that away people feel that you're treating them with a, a generosity of belief if you just muck about with whatever it is at the beginning so that's very nice and they i trust that people do dig it they do
0: get truth when you when you're you're doing that when you're because it seems a lot of what you're talking about is absolutely about the moment and it's about the live thing that's going on here and now and it's sort of it's it's super about that that's that's exactly what you're doing is trying to find that that moment and keep it live um do you find i mean presumably that that in uh, that incurs a huge amount of risk in that sometimes it doesn't go off the you know the mix doesn't set or whatever the construction metaphor I don't understand is but you're, you must be able to it's, it's set something goes off a mix goes off does it is that plastering yeah. thanks thanks one dude at the back <laughs> we've got here a load of comedians going me neither um, but you, sometimes it goes off and it, and it sort of catches fire presumably there are other times when it doesn't quite catch fire in the same way and how do you keep I mean does that happen and if that does happen how do you keep the optimism of keeping trying to... I mean, within a gig, I don't think how you keep going in life? I mean, you know.
2: Now the list of traumatic, devastating, you know, failure gigs is so long. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> it's, just, it's just fantastic. And I've seen it in people's eyes. And I, and I, and I go, don't worry, I've done good ones. You know, <laughs> I, I, I've seen people look at me just going... This... This guy is psychotic and wrecked and weak and loose. But that's only in the context of comedy. So is it, the real risk in life is not whether it will go well. The real risk in life is maintaining a thing you like. I mean, that's used to the basis of, like, uh, a loving relationship. You know, people often sort of back of them because they fear they can't maintain it. So I don't have any fear that I can maintain a good thing. I have a fear that I can maintain the gig going well. I don't have a fear of maintaining a relationship with humans. So, that, so I'm always happy for that. There's no risk. but I understand exactly what you're saying, because so many go wrong, and yet I, I accept it. And I've come off to after times where it's, there's fights and anger and madness and people calling out, but again, they're kind of memorable, you know, so that's okay. And I don't, I never intend them. I've done a few gigs where, where the people think I've intended it to go. Like that. I've just done it tits up because... You know, that's, I don't know why you would. Why would you? But it, sure. it looks. It looks like so like that. So I really uh, um, empathise. <laughs> Some people are going, "You're oh, fucking. What are you doing?" And I'm like, yeah, "I know, I know." Come on <laughs> you know. And they're like, "What?" And I'm like. I know, but what can you do? Cause it, and I've done that so many times I've said on the stage, obviously this isn't what happens all the time. If I did this, I wouldn't be alive. Yeah. But people are so in the moment then, they can't see past it, which works for you in a good way, because when it's going well, people just think, you must be the most amazing genius of all time. Wow, you're doing this? What would you be doing if this hadn't have happened? And you go, well, thanks. You know, cause it, So people go, go with it in a good way, so you can't have your... Whatever, your cake... And you can't unhave your cake and not eat it or something. You know, yeah. I mean, what's the point of having cake and not eating it? It's a very good issue, but, you know... So you can't lose. So the risk for me, the, risk, the real risk is sort of ap- apathy and stagnation. And there, as long as you keep going, as long as you're doing something, you'll come up with stuff. So I just need to be on stage. I have ground to halt a few times and then just ran out of any love for the room I'm in, and that's just sad. It's terrible. There it is. It's usually... Obviously, about me, it's not really about you. Can't really blame people for not getting your grumbly, non creativity. You can't really. If as long as I keep going, everything will be okay. I mean, I'm great at improvising and stuff like that. You know, people shout things out. I can sort of do stuff with it. It's not always what I want. And yet, if, if sometimes it's what I have to utilize, you know, in a crude way, give me something. But usually, I let my mind come up with a connotation of what I'm seeing somehow form a little the next idea you only need one idea and it's the next one is what rings around me you know so you can go on with just one brilliant idea I've often gone on with just one brilliant idea <laughs> and then that goodness means you come up with other ideas of course you know it's like going out with your friends you don't plan what you're going to chat about at night you just get in the vibe and things sort of come up you know ultimately with all of us so you're not doing anything that everyone doesn't do you're just doing it in, in, with a, a, a an ability for it to happen in front of like everyone, you know, a lot of people. I can't speak in public and stuff. So you're doing it a brave form. If you like, you're not doing anything different from what everyone does sure. with their friends. Which is, I fell down a well you've got a well story, I've got a well story you know, yeah. it's just that sometimes most of the time on stage you're having to be both sides of that conversation so I've got to do the, oh I, did I fill, yes I did fill and I've got to come up with another thing
0: Well that's it, because the difference is when you're out with your friends you don't need to provide all of the stories You know, it is it is a two way street yeah, yeah. and how can you ensure that it always is that two way street with an audience, you have to be you both brains split a bit
2: down the psycho middle which is quite brave and fine and again everyone does it but it's, it's not a big deal, you let yourself just get into a ramble beyond what you are and get taken. And I once talked to a guy a wee Scottish kid I'd never met before and I was like, he goes, okay. And I'm like yeah, and he goes, you're the guy that speaks really fast until it goes wrong. <laughs> is it am I but definitely he was right because I go am I a, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just chickens you know you, and then you come up but that's crude level one madness associated stuff that's not mm. the aim of a show to be able to go have nothing to say and then come up with but it's certainly something I do a lot and that was like really precise and it wasn't didn't, it didn't ring bells immediately but it kind of bong <laughs> you know it did ring a big bell that's still ringing you know
0: and that's nice <laughs> So this is Phil. You, you remember when I described Arthur Smith in episode something like eight? Way back all those episodes ago, I described him as a sort of shaman of comedy and you all said I was being pretentious. Well, Phil Kay, I think, is comedy's Gandalf. He just is. He's absolutely wild. He's like a force of nature and he seems to me to have made a decision to become wilder over the years. It's like he's pursuing something. And the chase itself has led him down the rabbit hole and he's decided to stay there to be closer to this thing that he's after. There's a look in his eye that suggests he knows something you don't. I hesitate to say a twinkle because that sounds twee, but maybe a a flash or something. So I thought it seemed like the right one to save up for episode 100. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it uh, as much as I enjoyed having this conversation. Um, And I must remember, uh, before I forget, Phil Kay's book, The Holy Viable, which is sort of part... I think he calls it an autobiography. It's part autobiography, part um, uh, blog posts, part weird rambling stuff from his mind. And it's really, it's the sort of thing that if I'd read it when I was uh, a late teenager it would have changed my mind and made me throw off the shackles of uh, education and normalcy and civilization uh, in in uh, in favour of going down the rabbit hole myself. Also, I haven't read it. I, w- I will read it. I've bought a copy. I haven't got around to reading it yet. Um, but uh, apparently I'm in it. So uh, the extra points to Phil for including me in it. Free plugs available to anyone that wants to put me in their stuff. Um, so we'll get back to Phil in a moment. A couple of plugs for things quickly. Um, 7 o'clock till 9.30, I'm reliably informed, that is at the Phoenix and Cavendish Square on December the 21st for the Comedians Comedian podcast Meets Carl Donnelly and Chris Martin podcast Triple Headed Megapod. Um, December the 21st at the Phoenix and Cavendish Square in London, uh, and that's at 7 o'clock. And uh, I will f- be frequently tweeting the uh, the uh, ticket link uh, over the next few weeks, so look out for that. Or, or there's details on the Comedians Comedian Facebook group. Speaking of Christmas specials, now, I don't know how many of you know about Beat This. I think we talked about it briefly. It's sort of apt that it should be now. Uh, to to mention this, because in episode one, with the fabulous Rob Deering who was then and is now, he remains one of my all-time favourite acts, um, he does a musical panel show quiz. It's the sort of thing that I remember him saying in the past, it's not a pitch for anything, because it can never exist on TV in a world where Buzzcocks exists. It's not the same as Buzzcocks, it's very different, but you sort of go, OK, that we've got one big musical panel game, so this isn't a pitch for TV, which is great, because it means it's its own thing, and it's just... I've done it so many times, and I absolutely love it every time. He is doing a Christmas special at King's Place in London on December the 18th. Google yourself up some details for that one. As we know, that's code, that means I don't have a link for it. Um, but go and see the show. Rob is just... It's so much fun. It's such a joyful show to watch, and it's just a just a brilliantly joyful expression of silliness and the love of music. And you don't need to be a music spod to, um, you don't really get music spods, do you? Sort of spod precludes being into music, which tends to be cool. But you don't need to be a music, um, no, sorry, we'll go with spod. You don't need to be a spod to enjoy it. Uh, I'm not that spod-like. I don't know too much about music and I frequently can't answer the questions. But it is always howlingly good fun. So go and see that, December the 18th, uh, and the show is called Beat This. So probably robdearing.com will have some uh, some answers there. Thank you to everyone that's donated so far, including, before I before I get on to some main episode 100, thanks. Um, I want to quickly thank Sebastian Poznanski. apologise if that's not the uh, the correct pronunciation of Sebastian. Boom. Um, and he's from the Cayman Islands. All I, I just noticed on PayPal it tells me where you guys are from. All I can hope is that Sebastian travels around the Cayman Islands on a little boat, telling all of his tax haven-enjoying neighbours to donate to the show as well. And I've just assumed, I realise now, I've just assumed he's based in the Cayman Islands rather than simply having an account there. Is Sebastian Poznanski even his real name? Curiouser and curiouser. Nonetheless, thanks to him and to all of you who've donated since I started asking around September last year. If you're someone that's listened... Hey, this is... I've only just thought of this now. This isn't in my my recording notes. Uh, If you've listened to every single one of the shows, I sort of feel you could tweet me at comcompod with a hashtag... Um, I mean, the first one that uh, springs to mind is the word glutton. But glutton one hundred. There we go. <laughs> you can you can text tweet me with the hashtag glutton one hundred if you've heard every single show, and that includes the silly micro all day Edinburgh one with Michael Leg. Um. So where was I? Yes, but thank you to all of you. Uh, yeah, I started asking for donations September last year, and I I can't believe that uh, I must have begged money off you. No, not begged, busked money from you um, so many times since then. And I can't... God, this is becoming a moment of reflection now. I can't believe I've been doing the show for about three and a half years. And it's changed my life. And I hope it's altered. I wouldn't dream of saying it's changed your lives, but I hope it's altered the way some of you look at some things. Um, This isn't what I meant to say, actually. I've written a load of sort of fluff, which I'll tell you in a minute, but... Um I just wanted to really honestly say thank you for listening. Um I sort of hey I don't need you I'd have done it anyway. <laughs> but but the the outpouring of love for this show that you frequently tweet me and email me Really makes a difference to my life, and we all know uh, if we've read between the lines of my various interviews that I struggle a bit with uh, with anxiety and occasionally depression and things like that. I think loads of us do, and particularly loads of us who seem to have isolated ourselves <laughs> almost as a as a method of feeling those things more than we didn't really realise. Um, but this is this has become such a wonderful thing. In my life, and I hope in yours as well. But certainly, I'm the one that gets to receive all the emails saying, "Stu, it's a great show. I love it." So, thank you for listening, and um, thank you for donating as well. I'm not going to turn. The- I'm not going to do a money pitch now. I feel like that would be that would be wrong to do it I'm off the back of that. This is otherwise, it's a-, a weepy street performer moment when I start telling everyone that, "Hey, if you can give ten pounds to this show, then that means we can all live our dreams." That's not what I mean, but it is kind of a bit like that for me. So, thank you. I don't know. But should I leave that in the edit? Yeah, let's leave that in. Um, Thank you to everyone that's donated. And if you've been hatching a plot to wait until episode 100 to donate a pound a show, now is your chance. Uh, You can do that now. Um, And if you're someone... Oh, I thought of this would be a fun challenge. If you're someone who likes to tell a friend about the show instead of donating, thank you for that. I appreciate you telling your friends. In honour of the 100th episode, I would like to challenge you to tell a stranger. So not necessarily in the street... But, you know, if if it comes up, uh, if you see anyone, if you overlook someone on a bus that's fiddling with their podcast app or is a podcast person, then start a conversation with a stranger in the, you know, in the attempt to market my show. So it's kind of (laughs) half meaningful, half awful. You can still patronise me on Patreon slash ComComPod. And now you can also discuss the show and your favourite episode and so on on Reddit at Reddit.com forward slash Reddit forward slash Comedians Comedian Pod. Um, if you don't know what Reddit is, just go to that web address and check it out. It's sort of the best way to have discussions and uh, comment on other people's discussions, but in a way where the best stuff rises to the top. The best, most interesting stuff uh, has a facility to rise to the top. Sorry about that. I feel like I sort of slightly went off the notes to have a little moment, and then I, I scuttled back onto the, the onto the notes. But this is this is the main stuff. I want to officially thank now everyone who's been involved with the show. Uh, and everyone that 's helped me, Pete dobbing for blue sky thinking. Uh, I mentioned Pete all the time, and he 's a big part of what keeps me going and what has helped me sort of he 's helped steer the show in the exactly the right way. so thank you to Pete, thank you to Asher trelevan uh, who 's a dear friend of mine uh, who 's on the show previously and uh, is also smashing it in la soire at the moment jesus he 's the funniest thing in a very funny show, so go and see that at the uh, the Wonderground on South Bank in London. Um, But he came up with the title. So thanks, Asher, for that. Uh, Dan Melrose for all the guitar twiddling that you have to put up with um, and that many of you I know enjoy. Nathan Wood for co-producing now almost half the episodes or almost exactly half the episodes and just getting his hands all covered in wav on a weekly basis on our behalf. Helen Zaltzman for letting me quietly transform her into my podcasting mentor. Um, Olivia Phipps, Ben Lund Conlon and Sarah Grun for all of their assistance with all the podmin uh, over the years. God, this is a thing about which I can say over the years. Isn't that incredible? Um, JQ at the headquarters and James Peggs Lowey for sound engineering and um, uh, sound editing at, at the live recordings. Pete Jones for all his help with the video editing when I've recorded the shows. Uh, Toby, jo- uh, sorry, Toby Rose for building the website. Uh, Robert Goldsmith, my dear brother, uh, for design. And Andre Pattenden, my other brother, for photography. Chris Woodley for SEO and new ComCom pal Gustav Muktada for Reddit admin or indeed as we're calling it now Redmin and I do I do just want to thank you for listening to the show for telling people about it for waggling your eyebrows when it comes up in conversation for bullying me in dressing rooms because I haven't had you on the show yet um for playing it endlessly to your partners on long car journeys sorry partners you have my deepest sympathy um I really appreciate it. Let's do another 100, shall we? Let's do another 100. And I promise eventually I will get myself interviewed, but it may not be till episode 1000. Let's get back to Phil Kay. Um, And before we do, last thing I promise, I just wanted to very quickly uh, add a little update. Really the owls situation that I mentioned in episode 99? Um, I've been asked by my girlfriend to point out that she's not some idiot child woman who has loads of toys. Actually, one of the two main owls belongs to me. And that is true. Uh, I hold my hand up to that. I own an owl, Uh, as uh, as, uh, as do I also own a small red frog, which often features in the owl-based dioramas. Uh, And to be fair, the little cuddly fried egg that features in them is only hers because I bought it for her. And uh, if she hadn't wanted it, I'd have kept it myself. All right. I've also got grown-up stuff, like a drill and a kindle and a wine rack. Uh, It's just that I don't go forming them into a representation of the final scene of Terminator 2 to remind her that I love her, even though I have to go. (laughs) Having mentioned that now, it's not within the bounds of possibility. I've said too much. (laughs) Let's get back to Phil.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen.
0: It seems to me, and it may seem like this to other people listening to this, that the the thing you're describing is almost a superpower. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you've got this kind of super ability, comedy-wise, that you are fearless enough to, or and or can cope emotionally with the fallout when it goes wrong. But you can just take absolute risks. You can walk in with, as you say, just one good idea into. 20 minutes or half an hour or an hour. The aim is getting to that the, the,
2: the bit in the Matrix where he suddenly realizes it's not about being faster and faster and brilliant and brilliant. It's about suddenly not being appropriate to the bullets anymore. The bullets fall because you're not having to try it anymore. You just are it. You know? <laughs> and that's what clowning. That's the new Dr. Brown clown and, and the Bob here late at night. You're not trying to do anything. You're just trying to be the thing. And again, that's even more amazing and yet it's also more close to whatever it is when they're on a really good night. Hi! I will survive on a table, and they are it. You know, so that so that, again, the risk is something else. The risk is not doing things. You know, the risk because again, how bad can it be? It's definitely a, a phrase that's come out with me. How, how you know, be, the gig's has been really badly. How bad is that? You know what is that? <laughs> what, what is?
0: So what? You know, it's not that bad. You know, and so. And, well, I'm just uh, for the benefit of the listener. Phil is removing his clothes. I mean, I say one by one. We've removed two things. That doesn't necessarily suggest that, uh, we need. We need. I learned from Tom Tuck recently. You need three points of data before you can extrapolate a pattern. Um, so, which which are the most? Oh no. Oh, well, just in terms of this this the thing that we're talking about. At what point in your work in comedy did you discover that? When you said it was sort of quite early on, did you sort of walk onto a gig with Mm -hmm. 21-liners and three gigs down the line you went, fuck it, it's actually about The Matrix? I mean, just describe to us the development of that It just
2: certainly very quickly morphed out. That's a long time ago. I certainly know it didn't really come on until... uh, Because I think my real strength and and risk and braveness is believing in a sort of set of simple details Mm. that aren't that great... (laughs) essentially they're a story from my life but something's really meant something to me but sometimes even a thing that means something to you people are going to go yeah and or yeah that's just a bit of an earnest thought you know somehow somehow though like the the story show today it was just the fact that i find something interesting was funny in itself sometimes more than the idea because that's because the idea is so simple and it's like the faith in the idea that that in the end, you're never really saying everyone else is going to get this as much as I do. You are saying, I've got this. You know, and, and if you've really believed it, then people can see someone explain or say what they believe rather than expect everyone to believe it too. So that, I think that's... That even today, there's like stories about silly things. You know, there's not much in it. Mattresses in the garden, a recycle accident. There's not much in it. But they're trying to access the, the, the truth of why they're even in the show. Why are those stories even there? Because they are certainly personal moments in my life, and, and a lot of the best shows I've done, I've contained like just stories of what I get up to. Now we can ask why I get up to stuff. Why is it I end up leaving a gig in in, um, in, in, um, in, in Blackpool with only like the last 11 people that are left, because everyone else has left. And there's 11 of us, and we sort of go and break into an old hotel, and then go up on the roof and muck about, and it's like, you know, why, maybe why do I do that? Well, I think a lot of people do fun stuff like that. It's just... For me, that's the detail of the life. So come back with a story like that. It's not that good, but it might come up, it might hit some other things you believe. And then, and then making that work, I think it's been my greatest success. Making simple stories of, of like just stuff that's happened work in a comedy context is uh, great. And sometimes in those little ones in London, those little hardcore 15-minute Banham comedy and banana gigs to just go mad for a bit and, and piss her, and then it's suddenly at the end get totally real, just do this simple thing and then for that to go well is, is, is really great, because you've sneaked in a bit of organic you know, kale salad into the McDonald's <laughs> feast, you know, and so I mean, they love McDonald's, but then they kind of go, "Oh, hang on, what's that? Kale, it's kale, you know, and it's and they're like, whoa, and they might have gone, bleh, but they Because you've got to believe in it, you know, that you're not full of shit and don't believe things. Your belief in something must be what it's about. And I've seen things where I believe in their belief and kids tell you about the fairies and you believe in their belief of the fairies, not the mass of a fairy. (laughs) But you believe in their belief and you believe in their belief in them. So I I kind of think, well, deep down, that'll be it. And that's what's really happening. And when it goes really well, that's interesting. When your games go really well, that's worth talking about. Sometimes, you know, it's not worth talking about much else because it's, it's there when they go really well. What are they when they go really well? Is And that's what I'm concerned with and that's what we're concerned with and that's
0: lucky for me. I was watching online some of your, uh, some of Phil K. feels, which I, I, as I watched it, I went, oh, I remember seeing this. When I, so it was in 1997. You did a series on Channel 4 and watching it now, and you can see some of the episodes on YouTube, it seems incredibly loose and free and you look like you don't know what you're going to say next. Did that have a script or were they just... Did you manage to be in such a situation where the TV producer said, right, we're just going to film this, come and do stuff? It's the exact, exact blend of that. I think in terms of
2: TV, it was the loosest and best thing it could be. And I had a producer who was a woman who was a mate of mine, who was a friend that I loved and liked, so it was great fun to... But I just arranged stuff together in a loose 40-minute rant and then we got 24 minutes for it and they were around about a theme and I had certain props I would definitely do and certain stories I would do, but a lot of it was thrown together and the audience brought objects that I didn't know about that related to the theme, so did a lot of sort of obvious, straightforward um, improvisation. I think one of the best things ever was when I got everyone in the audience to make a, to write an invention down on a bit of paper and then fold it into an airplane, and then about 300 of them all throw the airplanes at me at the same moment. And so quite good on camera, you know, and so they're all flying around and, like, and like literally they're zooming by, they're popping on me, oh, and then la- everyone else, and there was just one last one floated in and they caught it. And, and then read out, it did, read its inventions out and then riffed off that, you know, so that was a lovely thing but there was a lot of looseness in it which meant it never got recommissioned for a second uh, I was, was going to say
0: it's rubbish but it was great oh but it I was, was
2: wearing these clothes oh god I had this uh, pro- clothing woman on the series it was just brilliant she was like six foot two and just gorgeous and we went shopping together And I, just, so I wore all these crummy clothes because normally I just wear whatever I wanted of course and, and no makeup and no makeup no. but I ended up wearing these sort of, chinos and a sort of jumper with a stripe on it, and I was, whoa, man. So when I look at it, I go, Ooh. <laughs> But the last one was pretty good, and the one about water, and then maybe the first one where I came on naked, it was a show about the theme was nature. So I had a massive haystack that moved around and passed out man sized stilettos. Where they found a shop where you could buy size 14 stilettos, you know, for really boots, transsexual, transvestigan. So, you know, there was natural themes. So I, I would bump from bit to bit. There was room for telly for, for mucking about, which you don't
0: really see much unless it's in in the improv shows, and where it's all made up. Would you like to see more of that? Do you think, would you like to see more of that in comedy generally, let alone on TV? Do you, I mean, do you watch other stand-ups?
2: No. No, not on telly, really. I don't come across it, and I try and avoid TV, so I'm not involved in that world, and I don't want to do any more TV. It's not an environment I like. It's like,
0: ah, no... Why was that? Because you, because, because you experienced the... Sorry, there's a pained expression currently on Phil's face. But you, you obviously had a good experience with that series. And was it what you wanted it to be in the end? Did you go, yes, we've nailed it? No, no, no.
2: Because no, no, I knew that what it, by its very nature it was going to be a... Thing that was going to be a bit clunky. But it was about as good as it could be, I'm sure, in many ways for what I was at as a person. But just the idea of TV, it's just... I, I learned very quickly I didn't ever want to do it. It's not really where I want to physically spend my time, around studios and the atmosphere and the, the rightness. And I could have come up with TVs. I always come up with ideas where I go off to uh, travel around the world with uh, my own mate on a camera and come up with things. And people always say, yeah, but what are you going to come up with? And I go, no, no, I'll come up with something. you know. And they're like, yeah, but OK, so what are you going to do in Buenos Aires? And I'm like... Fucking no, You am in Buenos Aires. What can go wrong? Come on. <laughs> but no one will give you that because that doesn't sound good on paper. So fair enough, you never get those shows. And so the only ones you get are ones where you show them in advance because then some guy is commissioning editor and go, look, that's going to be good. And then show it to someone else and goes, that's going to be good. And it's Chinese whispers in reverse to keep the bosses happy. It's not really real. And yet... Tons of those shows that are good, and people do. other people do shows that are great. I have only interest in, in sort of reaving sort of, as much as I can from TV. So then <laughs> get to fund my adventures around the world, it, it, and then, no one's ever into that.
0: Could you, I mean, <laughs> given now how cheap the technology is do and yourself. access to the internet, yeah, yeah. could you do it yourself? You yeah, but now I've run that?
2: out of the interest of being in front of a lens. I have no interest in being in front of a lens at all ever again. So it's not something I seek, so I don't even think about it, so I'm not missing it in any way. I just no interest because it's just it's so much have I given away of myself by, you know, and it's all my thing. I, I've just done lots of rubbish. and So everything I on YouTube for me looks awful. There's only a couple of things anywhere that are in the middle of it are anything great for me. The rest of it is all who. Which is fair enough. And you deal with how you might be seen. Cause people are like, you're great. I've seen you on YouTube. You're great. And you go, but there we are. That's life. I think. So, and, and, and they're seeing all of Someone they knew nothing about, so they're seeing all of just a, well you're judging it like your new haircut. You walk down the road and everyone's seeing it. And I hate it. And you know, it's not like that. So I, I, I have no problem with it. It's all groovy and all the stuff on YouTube. But, uh, but I don't
0: like the image. I don't like the lens, and I've no interest in it. Uh... And do you see? Do you see other stand-up live when you're at the festival? Do you see other things Definitely. other yeah, than just up two minutes scene. before you go on? Uh, what's that? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was going to say, do you see other stuff other than? Two minutes before you go on stage, if you're zipping from gig to gig. Uh, yeah, I, I, do, I will see a
2: few things of personally of people I know.
0: Yeah. Uh, it,
2: yeah. I, I, you're allowed I, to say
0: that you don't watch any. No, but I've, I've,
2: yeah, I've I've learned to just do exactly how I feel. I mean, Edinburgh for me is something that that's a, a quite a major chunk of life. It used to be a month, which is not a hell of a lot of ten percent of your years. So I now I don't. I only come up for um, like a wee bit. But certainly, how, doing it how you like it has been a really metaphorical, metaphorical thing of my life. I've really had to do Edinburgh exactly how I like it. I was really happy for years at a major venue. Then I thought, hang on, it's about to hmm, fade. So I'll quickly do two shows a night. So I did three years I was doing two shows a night, full-on Gilded Blue One. But one was a storytelling show and one was just late-night madness. And then, so I was getting as much as I could from Edinburgh, and then I knew it would change. And then quickly. do You mean financially, financially as well? Financially, yeah. or as much as excitement and enthusiasm and, and people in your gigs. Because you know, I can kind of tell when I'm relevant in a certain way and when I'm not at all. And, and I understand that. So, you've had, I've, I've thought about the last few years of just trying to make something more interesting. So, I've got to keep myself uninterested. And I had to get away from the big logos and the, the cities of posters and just the masses of massesness and, and just too muchness. And, and, and so, sort I've of found in this kind of environment and the hive in the previous years, a way of being really happy in Edinburgh and doing it how I like. And this year I'm doing an afternoon show, which is much better than waiting all day and keeping yourself together and going, no cider yet, no cider yet. <laughs> and for me, every year, would be like, can I do a show at 7pm? Because I knew but at 6.25, I'll have to have a farm-strength cider. You know, I can't wait anymore. But if it's 9.30, then you'd have two or three and you'd be a bit... Mm. Because a mixture of adrenaline and booze keeps you excited, but two big-siders, when you're slightly anxious about a thing, will make you tired. So I would always get 7 p.m. shows. So I'm in the middle of my first booze high when I do my first show, and then the rest will all take care of itself, 9, 10, 11, night, uh, you know. Anyway, that's very personal. <laughs> <laughs> But this year I thought, you get up in the morning, you, you, mature, you have a really nutritious breakfast, have a massive coffee, have a wee tiny pipe of hash, right. and then do a show. It's a great way to start the day, imagine, and then spend the rest of your day noodling about and then doing other people's shows, but they've done all the posters and you do little ten minute slots and get some cash and put it in your pockets and wonder where the hell it goes. You know, <laughs> but I had my first fish and chips today and, and it's, it was just surrounded. I waited, I was there for a day, yes I couldn't do it and then today I just waited until I was starving because that's another big feature of Edinburgh professor for me is, a, is just being allowed to eat f- fish and chips they're a viable thing they're not, <laughs> they're not some crazy ridiculous luxury and they are fried food but, and yet they are fish and potatoes
0: uh, sorry. So, I'm so sorry. I, I just quite all right. It is, uh, it's just for those of you listening at home that want smell-o-vision, it's, it's Kingston Press classic apple cider. Um, just on the subject of booze, and you mentioned hash as well, is that, has that been an element
2: of your... Sorry, not hash, marijuana, green grass. I don't smoke much hash, but I sure. smoke, uh, grass, yeah.
0: I'm very keen to tell a story about Switzerland, but uh, we'll come back to that another time. But <laughs> Perhaps listeners can email me and I'll tell them where. No, no, definitely don't do that. Um, is it... Well, I remember, I've got a very, very fond, vivid memory of us in your, uh, your uh, hotel bathroom in Switzerland uh, discovering that you had... You know, you can... Uh, we'll, we'll cut this out if it becomes too illegal. But... Uh, <laughs> You, uh, you know you can make a, a pipe, like a hash pipe, out of a, like an apple or a potato or something. So the idea being you can core a hole into it that way or that way. The gentleman in the hat's nodding. He knows he's lots of well-to-do nice middle-class comedians go. I had no idea. Um, the point being you can take an object anywhere and put two holes in it and turn it into a pipe. Phil, I believe, had brought one with him through customs. <laughs> But just a raw potato. Yeah, 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 a raw potato that had been turned into. Oh, because sometimes I like, just take a potato. I mean, there's with no really no it. need to smuggle this obvious drug paraphernalia because the whole point of it is you can make it anywhere. It was shit. Tremendous. Tremendous. Donor. But,
2: but definitely sometimes just take a raw potato and then you know, and custom people go like this and, and then look at you and you go.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and and you're just. It's, like it's the, just potential. It's like the man with the golden gun when he goes, he puts his lighter together with his pen and you get your potato
0: and you have a bit of clean foil. <laughs> but do, 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 do alcohol or marijuana play a sort of a part, like a daily role in your life? It sounds like they do certainly at the festival. Yep. And if you're a kind of living in the moment sort of a, a person yep. and you're kind of a hippie, yep. would you say? Yeah. Um, that you is that a daily thing for you? Do you ever feel that? And I don't want to sort of probe too personally yeah. if you don't want to talk about it. But have you ever had sort of problems with alcohol? I'm lucky that I haven't. I, I've
2: I've done enough drinking where I could have, but I certainly self regulated. About maybe te- I had a jag, a really beautiful jag, and I remember sort of having a few blackouts with whiskey, and then sort of no longer doing that um, no longer just really it's just like a youth putting in a massive whiskey and in like five minutes I'm not pissed for so just having another one when you know it's going to come on when you sip whiskeys you're older you get it When I remember having a few blackouts and just sort of losing friends coming out coming to in, a, in an art gallery <laughs> where everyone's sweeping up looking at me and I'm covered in Tunnock's cream cake <laughs> and I've caused a food fight in an art gallery and the, then the roof fell down which is a coincidence but so, so I had a few blackouts so I remember thinking chill out Phil just do the fruit juice have a wee spliff and then drive around in the car you can drive people around if you remain sober you can drive everyone around to nightclubs because you've got a car and you're sober and it's brilliant I remember that being a, a great phase of my life then I just had a blackout last year from because my friend brought me a bottle of whiskey at a gig and I just drank so much and then I, I, I woke up on the train going home and had a blackout but I'd cycled all the way across London on a bike and so the way I'm talking about this in the story is I want to get hold of the CCTV footage from the police if I tell them my bike was nicked then and then they could show me all the cuts of different cameras all, and I could p- piece it together for a Christmas DVD you know because it would be nice to watch yourself because was I all over the road was I hurling abuse, was I racist you know, what was I? <laughs> I definitely found that when I had some blackouts before, I fondled Katie Taylor, you know, and oh, you know, I did some stuff that wasn't brilliant in those zones because I was not really, you know, any responsible anymore. And so I didn't like that. So I had a problem about over about a year period of just being a guy who drank a lot. I certainly never, I was able to regulate it and just stop it and feel the goodness in fruit juice and, and getting stoned and being light I'm not a heavy stone I don't get down I kind of have a wee whip and let it really work for three or four hours and then I'm very up very up person mm. um, energy wise and everything so um, but it is a part of my life and certainly here I give into it I, I wait and wait and try not to drink in the day because it never really works for me but once you get into it here you just have to keep going you can't stop so you keep going I, I did uh, take a wee break and have a wee snooze in the Banshee Labyrinth um under my um, tweed hat at the back of the Banshee Labyrinth and I heard people talking and one was going, is that, is that real? <laughs> I, just had, I had the hat down because in the Banshee Labyrinth they got like um, instruments of torture and stuff around and I, one of them was going, it's a dead Sherlock Holmes. Seriously. <laughs> but I just—I had my eyes open and I was just taking a super nap and I just had an orange juice so I thought I could come here without being in, obviously intoxicated. Well, you know, Obviously I am intoxicated but I'm not so much that I can't reach what mm-hmm. I need. And people feel a bit embarrassed for you if you can't reach eloquence that you're clearly after.
0: Something I like to talk to people in in these interviews a lot is about their writing process. Um, Now, that might be very different for you than someone like, say, Milton Jones, who would sit and write and write and write and write. What kind of preparations do you do, though, throughout the year or... You know, in the run up to Edinburgh or when making a show, is it just sort of constantly things are coming to
2: you? Or? I was thinking this the other day because I writing notes all the time, notebooks, so anything interesting that comes to me in a day, oh yeah, and it has to be a sort of some kind of golden nugget of superness. It could also just be a funny shop sign, it could be anything. And I realized the other day that, um, that it's not, these are not the thing. The thing is the fact that I'm watching stuff. I, I, Eminem does the same, I'm sure a lot of people take notes of everything. They're not going to go in the albums, they just, they're like a boxer keeping loose. So, you know, I'm not doing the best hits, but I'm just keeping loose. So I'm always thinking all the time about stuff that I could then have. So I have these notebooks full of stuff, and then on stage just hope that they all come together. It's a bit different Edinburgh because you're committing to hours. A lot of gigs you do are 40 minutes at the most, and so you can kind of buskate with stuff and throw it together. Mm-hmm. But Edinburgh's a new thing each year, kind of, you try and do so. The preparation for Edinburgh was, was trying to bring together the, the really exciting events I could talk about over the last year, rather than just... Recent little bits that you know, they were so. I did, I have written, um, as you probably know, I've written a book called The Holy Viable, which is was about 10 years of stories all in one big, thick book, stories that I would tell on stage that were from my life. And then I've written another one just this last year, so it's a lot thinner. Uh, and um, so that it's like an extended, massive set list, but I just wanted to turn my diaries into form. I love writing, I did a lot of journalism for years in Scotland where I was like a travel journalist restaurant reviewer la 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 and then just a columnist where I wrote about whatever I wanted um, and got paid and it's amazing for you to be paid on a Saturday night quick belt one out about something that's just happened and get 250 quid from the Sunday Herald I mean it's bloody great money uh, or a great feeling to write for cash same with it is to talk for cash I love it it's just something about writing so uh, I wanted the last year's things just to be instead of being notes for a show they've actually become another thick booklet Mm.
0: which I haven't had printed off but I will do so just it just to, to take a moment when you had those kind of real jobs or more real jobs in journalism or what have you do you feel was there like a, a kind of a point in your life where you dropped out of that sort of world and became a hippie no. or is it what's the oh well that's all about children if you like because no, i
2: always wove all that stuff together but um, having kids with me i've got uh, three young ones now but i have two older ones so i spent the last 18 years heavily involved with kids on a daily basis so you're kind of that that affects everything um is that what you mean? Um,
0: well, yeah, I suppose I mean, I'm, from... I'm trying to. I, I'm, I think someone told me years ago that when you started, you, used, you started doing comedy, you used to wear a suit. And I'm sort of trying to build a <laughs> picture of who you were before yeah. this, because I remember seeing you yeah. maybe, well, it must be like nine, ten years ago. Uh, hanging out with Dave McSavage a lot on the, uh, he's a friend of, uh, mutual friend of us on the, at Hunter Square yeah. when he'd be doing street shows and I remember seeing you there looking a bit more unkempt than I'd seen you in previous years and going, ah, oh, right there's, a, some, there's some sort of really? is there like a transformation process yeah. happening here?
2: I suppose it was, yeah I mean, again, it's, for me it's probably long term and more gradual but yeah, sure. I definitely moved from holding certain things important which you might have seen in neatness form to realising now that None of that really matters. I mean, even my kids take the piss out of me. Dad, for God's sake, you know, you're scruffy. But that's, for me, it doesn't matter. And you know it's funny, and it's quite a nice thing for people to be excited about. For me, what it is is about the other side, keeping it all together and neatness. And, I mean, I've come to Edinburgh with what I'm wearing and a jacket because that's what I need I'll okay, get if I need another shirt I've well, got one already <laughs> if I need a <laughs> if I need a t-shirt I'll get it today I bought some insoles uh, I've no socks I've no pants I keep it how I, this is how I want to do it and so when people go a bit scruffy I kind of go but I'm not really that interested in that because mm. it's really just about something far more important that I don't want to be fucking about with moisturiser and other things uh, it's all fine all, uh, as long as you feel it's okay and that for me is really heavily important because in fact the world can't take it at the moment. The world can't. There's a lot of people shopping for shoes. You know, they've got they've got shoes on. <laughs> you know, and they're going to get more shoes. You know, <laughs> and then, and Primark. There's people dying at the entrance of Primark to get. You know, and it's that's it's almost like the opposite. You know, and. Um, so I think it's quite important to make to, to make do and and use less chemicals to wash. Even though I, we use ecover, or even there's an even one better than ecover. Um, and, and I've got lots of uh, good practices in my life. I, one of them is not though
0: having uh, really fresh clothes. It's not uh, important. Is there is there a parallel there with what you were saying about you know seeing the matrix, realizing that stuff isn't important, realizing what's important to well, you, well,
2: reading <laughs> a certain way will uh, will never work it. And today I met a Christian in the pie shop. And I'm like, you'll never work it. The more fine it you get, you'll find a new version of being unhappy. So it was about a way of chilling out, and that came with kids. So not making things that became mysteries of trouble, but like enjoying what was, you know. And, and often I talk to people, and it just comes out, and I'm like, why are you in the mystery? You know, They're asking you questions, and they come up with all these things. And when you see it with kids, they, they, they see a thing, and they go, what is that, what is that, what is that? And you go, okay, that's cool, but now let's just say what we do see. Let's have no mystery. Let's just know that what we know is valid, you know. So tell me what you do see about a tree rather than going, how do they breathe? And a lot of education is about telling people things they have to remember rather than them being able to guide it by their own intuitive questioning or something. I don't know. I mean, I certainly feel it really important to me that um, rather than getting bogged down in stuff that you don't know, you already know everything, you know, and And I I really believe uh, experience is understanding. And that when people try to nail their understandings of things, they get into cerebral trouble. And the scientists have got so close; they've got down to a final thing where they've understood that the atom is edgeless and unpinned downable. And when you look at a thing, you affect what it is. An electron can never be known because, it, by being recorded, it has to go be shot away by the light or visualization of it. And that's—it sounds—it's uh, it's great. That's what I've realized in practice, is that there's nothing, actually, there is no boundary definition between a thing and another thing. So therefore, you don't waste any time trying to define anything. And if you don't waste that time, then you're not confused. It's as if you've got the answer. But uh, for me, there is no answer to be seeking. So I'm not, I'm not missing anything. <laughs> Just your experience of a thing is enough. So, and that's what happens a lot through kids' eyes. Their they're, they're fun of something is an enjoyment of it. If they try to pin it down in words, they get into trouble. And we love poetry and we love song. And yet we know that they're at their best when they're kind of fluid in the mind of interpretation. They're not. Every now and then, some poet just gets it, and maybe um, you know Shakespeare sort of was able to nail things at a time when they could first be nailed. He said a lot of things he said are very simple and obvious, and we all get them now, and that's why they work. But, um, so not having to nail something is really great because it's unnailable. Are you happy? Well, absolutely. I've got some great, you know, just uh, fabulous openness in my life, you know, because uh, the less work I get, the more I'm around. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, the, so I'm with the kids all day and kids in days and days, and and it's just such fun. I mean, it's it's it's. I can see how it might not be, and this isn't really about kids. It's about life and everything. But it's also that you could easily be having trouble having kids because. But I've got nothing in between me and them. So lucky I don't have a day job. It'd be quite, the, the best way to be a good dad is to be pr- present. So all you ever hear is really stories of oh my dad would come on on weekends and it would all be a bit trouble. And so it's really great. So I'm t- incredibly happy because that's the result of being around little people. That, that, you, mm. that are very, very enjoyable when you've got no. I mean, it's just ridiculous that I, 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 Delilah, the middle one, you know, gets laughs when she's asleep. From, you know, for me, I'm looking at her, I see her, I'm going <laughs> you know, literally, because that's the only way you can process is the cuteness of how magic they are, which, is, which means you'd probably leap in front of a vehicle, no problem and, to, and die for them, of course because that's all linked and it's biological and it's total biology and I'm a massive fan of its biology so everything that people do wrong ain't really wrong, it's just a list of what humans do mm. and men and women together and with each other and those that do bad stuff really are really lost and it's its own punishment, so I feel that I'm really happy because that's the one we say. say it. You say it like that, it doesn't really work when you say it. I know what you mean. I'm, that's just a result of, of having no masses of things to, to take away me from what I'm around. Yeah. So happiness is just then what you have. And I watched Apocalypto the other day, which is a um, film about yeah. the, uh, the ancient Maya civilization, civilization and just that thing of being in it, you know, and... Um, I love I'm a massive film fan of serious, excellent films. That's another secret. Huge film, a film fan, of great magic, lofty idea, cinema. Bring it on, no problem what's at all. What's your
0: favourite? What's your what's your what favourite film?
2: Your favourite film. <laughs> <laughs> I have a top twenty-two, and I, I saw Apocalypto, and I said that's top one of my top nineteen because it have to you have has to have one of many sorts. I've got so many different. I like um, uh, Tarkovsky, the old Russian master. I like uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf, which is a mystical, uh, sort of believable Kung oh, Fu yeah, movie set in that's France crazy. in the medieval times with a viable monster. That yeah. guy's brought back a tiger and equipped it with a massive, sharp wicker frame. So it's like this giant beast, but it's just a tiger. Uh, anyway, that's a good one. Um, I love a lot of... Um, um, what do I love? I love David Lynch massively. I love... Uh, um, um, Once Upon a Time in Anatolia, uh, which is, um, I love uh, Mulholland Drive, really kicks ass. And, um, um, and uh, you know, Magnolia, Joe Peter, John, John JP Anderson, uh, Mag- mm. Boogie Nights, Magnolia, that's
0: massive. Um, but did, anyway. you, did you ever get any kind of like uh, influences just amongst, when you were starting as a comic, were there other comedians that you went, oh, hang on, they're, they're close to it, they're, these are the people I want to be with?
2: Yeah, be luckily like. they're very, Who very. Who were those friends? for you? The very first days I worked, I worked at the Gilda Balloon really early on, as it was just in its massive pre-heyday, heyday day day, before it became, and those were the best heydays, and you'd see Mark Lamar lighting a fag on stage and hosting late in life with just this wit. He was really clever. Then I saw Corky and the Juice Pigs, who were a three-man Canadian outfit, with Phil Nickel who's gone on to massive fame, and Sean Cullen, who's in LA and everything. Um, they were, like, really raucous and brilliant, but they were, like, And I hadn't seen any comedy before I did comedy. And then very quickly, I saw people that were really great. I saw Sean Hughes the first year he won the award. And him and I were scruffy mates together. And it was like, wow, I saw a lot of things. Really good. Malcolm Hardy early on. Arthur Smith early on. Um, There were some people I can't remember who were sort of proto-excellent. Steve Frost and all his friends and the Oblivion Boys and all that stuff. I saw Eddie Izzard on Little Stage when he got his first nomination before he ever... I saw a lot of stuff early on that yeah it was there was less folks, and sometimes, therefore, quality was quite high uh, somehow it seemed or something so but it, this was like Shakespeare being at the time when you could the first time you could actually say a thing, he was the one to be saying, it. and that those years when I saw it were the first time people could really riff about and muck about and Eddie had invented a genre of being able to just believe in your whimsy and, and um, that was one strain all of different strains, but yeah, I saw a lot of things, but corkys really were the ones that fired me that you could have a, a, almost ridiculous amount of fun doing it all um, they had a lot of planning it but they had a lot of improvisation they were like a three man but like one entity sometimes so they would do a song that the main guy would sing but he would make it up different every time and countless times I watched them and thought the crowd don't know it they just think he's doing it is. R-E-M number. but in fact he's, he's sourcing it and doing it different every time Sean Cullen was an utter genius of, of reaching that um, mm. place so early on I got lots of luck being around really brilliant people man. And, and you're. Know.
0: we're going to have to wrap up fairly soon uh, I'd like to throw the floor open to the audience if anyone would like to ask Phil any questions if that's alright with you uh, are you ever wound up by the fact that your contemporaries from 1989 might now be besuited TV millionaires
2: <laughs> no because I'd rather be where I am so I'm lucky but I know exactly what you're saying yeah, it's a very possible issue and it could have... I remember having a bit of a shock when not getting a second series, then I realised that it was the best thing ever, but I didn't realise until later. So no, because it, these are the jobs that other folks have to do, and then I can't do it. In the end, honestly, I got a lot of offers, but there's a lot of times when no one was talking to me in any way about TV or anything, because they just knew I was just too risky, and I didn't. And one guy said to me once, you think everyone in TV is a bunch of cunts? And I was like... I was like a top executive, so that was the vibe, and it was kind of true, because I was just thinking, it's all a load of shite, but only what I mean by kind of someone who's acting up around really badly around the wrong sort of, um, you know, version of what they could be doing, so I don't know if TV's full of it more than anyone else, I certainly know that even to this day it's agencies that control who's on telly and certain kind of comedy things, and I did a lot of stuff years ago where I was doing all the spots and everything, I just certainly got to myself to where I was truly meant to be, which is kind of away from it, so so not in any way, because it turns out I didn't want to be there at all. I'd rather be um, just doing lots of things around my locale, um, which I pioneered for years in Scotland, doing lots of gigs that no one else did in anywhere, arriving by boat a tiny reef thing um, way above Oban. Tons of gigs I've done where no one else has done, and all over Scotland for years. It was, that
0: was my, really good. Um, do you just to talk about the sort of unusual gigs you've done? Do you have a sense of who your audience is when you do a show here at Edinburgh? Do you have a sense that there is a certain portion of people that know you from telly years ago, or are there they younger people coming to see you who are maybe being brought? Do you do you have any sense of that at all, or is an audience? I don't dwell on it because you
2: can never know anything entirely. So I, I do believe in the, the crowd being the wonderful crowd at this show and that's so I don't go I don't dwell on it at all again you could never nail anything what does it even mean to know what you are it doesn't mean much to me I c- it's not something I can use and utilize so I just think they are a positive entity who, who could really go for this and this could be the best one and and honestly last year I was like that's the best gig I've ever done I said that about six times throughout a year which is great to be at 45 still doing that which is really lucky so and that's because they're independent when I went to Guernsey I was a the greatest you could ever be and to people who never knew anything about me at all I'm just on a festival in Guernsey one of the bills and there I am and and that's a great pleasure to just be brand new to people but I I can't get into the Mm. demographics and people just say so you're doing a gig in Aberdeen what are they like there and you're like what do you mean what are they like you know it's it's ridiculous what that expresses is desperation from the comedian who wants you to say they're all really good in Aberdeen you know it's not a real question it's a statement of something else a lot of questions aren't questions there statements of
0: trouble or something,
2: or statements dressed up as questions.
0: When the, uh, when the gigs haven't gone well, on occasion where they haven't gone well, uh, the question was, is that your fault or their fault? <laughs>
2: For A or B. Um,
0: well, yeah. What happens when,
2: it's, when it really doesn't work is you somehow look like it's their fault, and you don't... And you, and you sort of go... And you do feel resentment, and it's not the truth. The truth, of course, isn't that, and yet the, the, the truth moves around like a real you know, and so you, you, no one believes it. But that's what you're feeling for a few months. I don't get road rage. Honestly, you'll never find me going, you know, you know I just don't get road rage. So I don't, I don't sort of, there's emotions I don't get. I yet understand them. And so I know I've definitely felt... But to stand there and go, God, they, they were awful, is, is something I never do because I think my job is to do so well that they haven't had to go into that zone. My zone is, is to do so brilliantly, people are drawn to me. So even when people are chatting, I, I've been banned from a Caledonian university for chucking a chair, people who would never stop talking because I used to fight it. Now I think you just got to be so interesting that they must all stop, like a street performer. whatever. So, um, yeah, you know you're in trouble when you're blaming them. Because they're they're here, ain't they? You know, they turned up. They can do no wrong. They're here. You know, the only way an audience can be good is to be present. So there is no fault in them, definitely.
0: I'm hearing that just knowing that in an hour and a half I'm going to walk on stage at Leighton Live. (laughs) 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 Uh, They're definitely there. They can do no wrong. They They all turned up. Um... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure it does. Uh, I will picture, I'm sure, your grinning face as I walk out to meet my maker. Uh, we've probably got time for one more if anyone has uh, one more question. Hey, Phil! <laughs> where, uh, thanks, mate. I was, I'll definitely have done it on the blurb and I will as well. But uh, where might I be able to buy your book, Phil? Uh, I don't know, you can get it
2: online, can't you? Get it on, no, you can get it on. You can buy it online. You're talking about the 15,000, not this motley crew. You're talking about the, <laughs> the 15,000 Listen, you you, If you want it, you will find it. <laughs> How, these days, you can find anything. You just write it. <laughs> Found it. Wh- whilst you're yawning, you can find anything.
0: And to see us off, Phil, what is the... What would you, what's your final message to comedy? What would you put on your comedy gravestone? I'm not about to kill you. Where, <laughs> um, but, fictionally, th- what would be, what's your last message? To I thought want? on my gravestone I'd definitely have, like, EasyJet sponsoring the
2: gravestone. <laughs> like, maybe, you know, without their permission. Um,
0: so uh, It's like a, a yep, message yep, yep, yep. to other comedians, or, you know. Or, or a message to yourself. Even if someone else... I asked this to Andy Zaltzman. It, it it's quite a confusing question. But if someone... If you were retiring from the position of Phil Kay, what advice would you give your replacement?
2: That's the first question I, I just cannot answer. I, I thought all the previous hour would cover
1: all that. Surely? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Phil K. So thank you to everyone involved in making this episode. Thanks to Nathan. Uh, thanks to Misbehaving and Bob Slayer for the very kind use of their bookshop venue in Edinburgh. And very many thanks to Phil Kay himself do please uh, buy his book. You can get it from Amazon. I'm sure it's available in other uh, less quietly evil places as well. Um, That final answer of Phil's there is one of my all-time favourites. Donate at comedianscomedian.com. Special rates if you live in a tax haven, you pay double. Uh, Have a peep at Reddit if you're one of those future cyborg people and await with bated breath for the first episode of my glorious next 100 episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you all for listening to all of them. And tweet me at ComComPod with hashtag Glutton100 uh, if you're in that gang. Thanks, guys. I'm a little bit emotional. I'll speak to you soon.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly
2: Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.